Section 3 of Recollections of Life in Ohio from 1813 to 1840 by William Cooper Howells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Section 3, Chapter 5 Study at Home, Scanty Schooling, Early Private Schools, Peaches and Wild Fruits, First Abolition Society, The Peace with Great Britain, Political Parties, Boyish Adventures. My recollections of life in Mount Pleasant are very pleasant, though tinged with the shadow of our poverty. The first year or two I did little beyond going to school a short time, and taking lessons from mother in the usual school studies. I made about as good progress at home as at school. I think that my school going must have been limited in all to about one quarter, three months, some four or five weeks to fill out a term to a mistress that my sister had begun, and a couple of months in the winter to a master. This, with two quarters in 1816-1817 in Steubenville, and sixteen evenings at a school specially for grammar, made up the entire amount of my schooling. Whatever else of education I received was at home with mother as my teacher, or studying by myself. I do not speak of father as teaching me. It was not because he was not so capable to teach as mother, but he seemed to hand it over to her as something she took more interest in. I gathered a great deal of information from him, but it was mostly in conversations. And indeed, I learned the half or more of all I did learn when a boy in the course of conversations with men. I was in the habit of talking to all who would talk, and never scrupled to ask a question if the answer was to bring information. And I found, too, that men were rather disposed to encourage me and delight in answering questions that were not personal or impertinent. I read some of the books we had, and borrowed others, and always talked up anything I read when I found anyone ready to talk. It is to be remembered that the common school system of Ohio was not even provided for by the first act for its establishment till ten years after my school days, and fully ten years were spent in getting it into operation throughout the state. It was commenced about 1825-1826. Before it became general, the schools were supported by private subscriptions. Schoolhouses were built in villages and country neighborhoods as churches are built by public union of private contributions. In this sunny period of childhood, over which a cloud now and then brooded, my sister and I wandered about the fields and woods adjoining the village and gathered flowers along with her playmates. Among the glories of the place, I remember unlimited crops of peaches that, at that period, grew to great perfection in the new soil of the country. The lands there had been taken up or bought in small lots of forty, eighty, or one hundred and sixty, or very rarely three hundred and twenty acres, the owners of which settled upon them and built log cabins and planted little orchards. These orchards were set with apple trees as the principal crop, but the rows were inter-alternated with peach trees, 
which grew more rapidly and were expected to die out by the time the apple trees came into good bearing. At this time the peaches had reached their prime, and almost every year they bore abundant crops of which anyone could gather for the asking. Cherries were of slower growth and had not come forward everywhere, but they were planted along the fences on the roads and soon became common property. Besides these, there were wild plums, grapes, and nuts that helped to make the country charming to a boy. As a less agreeable incident of our life there, I remember my sister getting her arm broken with great risk of being killed. They were hauling timber for our new building, dragging one end of the log on the ground while the other rested on the wagon. She got on the log to ride and, falling off, was drawn under it and was saved from death by father's lifting the log as it passed over her. About this time there were frequent meetings of an abolition society that father attended. I well recollect hearing him talk of it to mother and of its object, which was not accomplished till 1865, fifty years later. Among those who attended were Benjamin Lundy and Charles Hammond, the latter then editor of the Ohio Federalist at St. Clairsville and afterwards of the Cincinnati Gazette. The war with England closed in the beginning of 1815. We got news sometime in the winter of the Battle of New Orleans, at which all who were not Quakers rejoiced and illuminated their houses and paraded the streets making joyful demonstrations. The Quakers kept dark and dumb, and were abused for it, of course. The account of the battle was soon after followed by the news of peace, which had been concluded before the battle was fought, though neither party knew it. This was also an occasion of rejoicing, in which the Quakers were expected to take part, as some of them did, though most of them held that they ought not to take any part in it. Father, though earnestly rejoicing in the peace, held this view of it, and when the hilarious crowd came by our house they hallooed, Dark House again! The political parties then were the Democrats, who were the war party, and the Federalists, who were opposed to it and were for peace. The Quakers, so far as they took part in it, were Federalists, as a matter of course. I was a Federalist because we were against the war, and this was my first political position. After father left for Steubenville, he would remain there about two weeks at a time, coming home each fortnight. The distance was twenty-one miles, seven to Warren on the bank of the river, and fourteen up the bank from that point. The day he was first to return, I was started off very early, to meet him with a horse which he and I were to ride back. I was a little over nine years old. The horse was much older and safely lazy. It was a great enterprise for me, and my directions were to go fourteen miles of the way, which brought me to Wellsville, then Charleston, where I was to wait for father at the tavern and ferry house. The people here happened to know him and treated me very kindly and talked encouragingly. I waited until afternoon, and then began to grow very uneasy. I fretted and looked up the road till two o'clock, and then got out the horse and went a mile or so up the river bank. 
where the hill and rocks came down almost to the water, and it was then gloomy and wild enough to add much to my perturbed state of mind. But he was not in sight as I looked wistfully through my tears, and in my despair I concluded father would not come that day, and started back, taking a hearty cry as I passed back along that narrow road, lined on each side with pawpaw thickets, where I had the whole forest to cry in by myself. I jogged on home alone, with many a long look behind me, and arrived at dark. I had hardly got fairly housed and eaten my supper when father came, having walked the whole way. Had I been told properly to wait at the tavern till he came, and that it would be late, I should have managed well enough. The Monday following I went with him about the same distance and returned alone very well. When he returned the next time, I went the whole way to Steubenville to meet him, and found him ready to start back with me. When just above Mingle Bottom, about two and a half miles below Steubenville, I came in sight of the town, which was prettily built and showed well from that point. It is quite fresh in my memory that it was really beautiful, and, as I thought, the most splendid view of my experience. But I met a little difficulty as I entered the town. The road divided at the bank of the little mill stream below, one fork of it turning to the river bank, and the other, which I followed, starting forward through a lane into Third Street, and up a hill that hid the town from me. Here I was attacked with doubts, and I supposed I was on the wrong road, but reasoning that if I kept near the river I must come to where I had seen the town, I turned into an open gate and followed the carriage road then leading into the very handsome grounds of Bezalel Wells. The place is still kept up and may be seen from the river or railway surrounded by a fine maple grove. I soon came to the end of the avenue and in sight of the town, but I saw no way to it except across that ravine upon a slight footbridge that was thrown across on very light timbers and floored with inch boards. Upon this frail structure I turned the old horse, which, by the way, was blind and could not see his danger, and went over in safety. Whether anybody saw me or not I do not know, as I never heard it spoken of, and when I came to understand it, I said very little about it myself. I suppose the feat of crossing that bridge on horseback was never performed by anyone else. I pursued the pathway to a gate where I had to dismount to open it, and so found my way into the west end of Second or High Street. Here I met a man who gave me directions, telling me that I should know the woolen factory by its having a steeple with the figure of a merino ram on the spire. I was all right then, and after putting the horse to feed at a tavern, I walked bravely up to the factory, and to my great joy found father. We got home nicely, and I brought him out the next week. The last time that I went for him, it was arranged that I should stay at his boarding place, where I was acquainted with the family, till our family should move back with him. I accordingly went to Steubenville on Thursday, and father returned, expecting to bring the family and all the household belongings there by Monday evening. I was at liberty now 
with two or three whole days before me to look at the town which was a very busy place for that day and i made the most of them on friday morning i started and went to every manufactory that was in the place except the woolen the first being the paper mill now in operation on the same site then the iron foundry the cotton factory the steam mill the brewery the watchmakers menders the printing office and i don't know what besides for as they were all new to me i went to see them all at the printing office i looked with admiration on the undistributed forms of the western herald and steubenville gazette then a great democratic organ and conducted by james wilson who continued it from eighteen o eight till eighteen forty four it was a medium sheet that is nineteen by twenty four inches the editor seemed to be interested in me and asked me my politics etc i told him with a feeling of independence that i was a federalist and he laughed perhaps at the manner in which i said it he showed me something about the printing and made explanations in which i was interested one small room sufficed for the office on sunday i walked into the country with the boys who had been at work the two days before and on monday i made another round of sightseeing till the afternoon when i began to look for the family as i was very homesick to see mother about the middle of tuesday forenoon they came and my trouble was at an end this was sometime in august eighteen sixteen chapter six a quakerless community youthful persecutions abundance of nuts and wild fruits at school school books used paper ink whipping in school methodist meeting an epidemic of typhoid a religious enthusiast hunting ginseng bonfires and buckeyes though a small boy and disposed to be adaptable it took me some time to get settled in this new place from a community nearly all quakers i had come where there was not one and there was such a change of manners with young and old that i was some time becoming reconciled to the situation and then i was a stranger to all the boys and as i was very quakerish and wore a little shad-bellied coat i was esteemed fair game for those disposed to play the bully while i was a curiosity to others i had to run the gauntlet of constant challenges to fight which i had to accept or run followed by jeers and cries of coward i did not want pluck but i had a principle against fighting and was under a constant injunction from father not to strike whatever the provocation i compromised this matter towards the last by kicking the shins of a few of the more troublesome ones and this brought me peace as i became acquainted i got to like the place and what seemed to me its advantages for the winter comfort of the children father got a cartman to go with me one saturday afternoon along the bank of the river near mingo bottom where in a short time we filled the cart with butternuts so abundant were they and so little were they cared for by going into the country in almost any direction we could get wild fruits especially grapes and nuts in great abundance 
but these have long since disappeared. As soon as the winter set in, I started to school. The teacher, then called Master, for we had no principals to schools then, was John Finley, a brother of Father James B. Finley, well known among the Methodists as a preacher of great zeal and piety, for which he was more distinguished than for learning. John Finley was also a Methodist preacher, and as such superior to his brother, but he had left the itinerant service of his church to devote himself to teaching, which he seemed to prefer. He was regarded as an excellent teacher, and his school was large, including the sons of the leading men of the place. Among them were the sons of Bezaleel Wells, Martin Andrews, Judge Benjamin Tappan, and John C. Wright, who led society there. These and a large number of poorer boys got along democratically together. I was among the smaller set of boys, but I usually associated with the older ones, as was my practice all through my youth. Though fond of the sports and habits of boys, I had the facility of talking with men in such a way as to be recognized and conversed with, which I made available as a source of information. At school I could learn all I wanted, for my memory was very good, but my point of failure was in application. In the short days of winter I had some chores to do after breakfast, such as getting in coal and carrying water, which was scarce there, and doing errands, and this almost invariably made me late at school, where above all places I loved to be. The penalty for this tardiness was to be put at the foot of my class in reading, but I soon got up again, and was certain to be at the head half the time. If I got down on Saturday, I was sure to be placed head on Monday for the recitation of poetry that I committed on Sunday. In this way, I committed to memory nearly all the poetry in Murray's English Reader and many other pieces. For one of these tasks, I learned and recited Gray's Elegy entire. Our studies at this school were spelling, reading, arithmetic, and writing. We used the United States Spelling Book, a Pittsburgh book, the Western Calculator, also a Pittsburgh work, Murray's series of reading lessons, the English Reader, and the Introduction and Sequel to the Same. Grammar and geography were not taught in the common schools then, nor for many years after. The paper used in writing was a pretty good article of foolscap, made in the country but unruled. So we had to rule it for ourselves, and each boy was armed with a wooden rule, furnished by some friendly carpenter, to which was tied a pencil made of crude lead. With these we ruled our paper to all desirable wits, by which we were guided in learning to write, for it was expected that anyone who had learned to write would not need such a guide. Our pens were all made of quills, and making a good pen was part of the art of writing, and an indispensable one at that. Our ink was usually made from ink powders, or from oak and maple bark, with copperas added to the boiled decoction of these. One of the most efficient agencies in education in that day was thrashing, and every master scrupulously availed himself of it. Mr. Finley understood it, and it was reasonably well dispensed in his school. 
My negligence, or talking frequently, brought me under this discipline, but I know that there never was any necessity for it. It was the custom, and it saved words. To me it was so mortifying that I took my books home the first time, resolved that I would not endure it. But I was sent back, and I well remember how my appearance in the afternoon was received by the other boys as a thing of course of which they had had experience. My nice sense of honor and self-respect was broken down then, and I, like the others, learned to care but little about it, the main point afterward being to stand it without crying. The second quarter I made up my mind that I would so behave as to escape, which I did till near the end, when I caught it almost without cause. The house where this school was kept was a one-story frame, about eighteen or twenty feet square, a mere box with doors and windows. It stood where the gas reservoir of the city now stands. When I was in Steubenville in 1851, F. A. Wells, then postmaster there, one of my old schoolmates, and I made a very reverent pilgrimage to the place where the house stood. The schoolboy spot we ne'er forget, though there we are forgot. I only went these two quarters, and with them closed my period of attendance at school, about the time I was ten years old, and now, 1872, fifty-five years ago. I afterward attended an evening school to learn grammar, and at times got private instruction in arithmetic, in exchange for which I gave instructions in grammar, chill penury repressed, etc. At this grammar school my seatmate was Edwin Stanton, Lincoln's Secretary of War. I do not remember meeting him since, but I remember him a boy, delicate physically, grave and studious. As there were no Quakers at Steubenville, father joined the Methodist Church and attended it with his family. He has since told me that during his outside relation to the Quakers he had become very skeptical and he was quite unsettled upon religious subjects. I remember the elder David Powell, one of the pioneer Swedenborgians of Ohio, labored very hard with him, and father read some of Swedenborg's works. But the Methodist system, in its then fiery enthusiasm, seemed to suit him best. The fact that his mother was a Methodist may have had something to do with it, and then, I suppose, the effect of a large congregation of Methodists, in the absence of any regular new church society, had much to do with it. So we went to Methodist meetings, which were the very antithesis of the silent Quaker worship. I shall never forget the terror with which the exercises inspired me. At the first prayer, I knelt down with others, while the tone of supplication of the man who prayed waxed louder and louder. I knew that Amen was said at the end of a prayer, and as I was shaking till my knees rattled on the floor with fear, I thought those around me were likewise affected and were crying Amen as an inducement for the brother to stop, when in fact they were only encouraging him. I regarded it as an awful time, and was very thankful when he said Amen. 
it was not long till i got used to it and learned to regard it as what was just right typhoid fever of a very malignant form was epidemic in that region during the winter of eighteen sixteen eighteen seventeen and great numbers died people in the country were alarmed to such an extent that they would not come to market or on business and the place was almost desolate father spent much of his time of evenings visiting these sick persons and often watching all night with them he would talk over the cases at home and he always discussed with mother the spiritual state of each with great earnestness he became enthusiastically religious at this time and appeared to live in a methodistic atmosphere night and day at least he thought and talked of nothing else it must have absorbed all his mental powers and i think it unfitted him for the business of life he was a constant attendant at all the prayer class and band meetings he could reach that is to say he attended one or other of these meetings nearly every night in the week besides a continual round of them on sunday mother was of a different turn and never took hold of this religious work in harmony with him she was more practical and more prudent or as it seemed to him more worldly she joined the church with him but never partook of his enthusiasm he became a shouter and was affected by all that extravagant enthusiasm that would at times prostrate the physical powers i have seen him a few years later than this time lie for hours without motion and so long as to alarm me although i knew it a common experience always recovered from and regarded as altogether regular as his life was orderly and he was gifted in prayer and soon learned to sing the hymns with great spirit and select them with taste speaking well in class meetings and love feasts he became a leading spirit and was looked to as a valuable member and consequently urged and invited into greater extravagances of devotion to the cause this necessarily threw an undue portion of the care of the family upon mother who really had a hard time with her housework and the instruction she had to give the children engaged as father was in the church it was utterly out of the question for him to improve our secular condition he had no mind for it and no time to think of it beyond the hours of labor in the summer of eighteen seventeen he gave up his berth as superintendent of the carding room in the factory and took the position of sorter of wool that is assorting it into the different grades of quality for which he was paid by the pound and as i could help him in opening the fleeces and carrying away the heaps of assorted wool i was taken to work with him at which i continued off and on about two years though i was not confined so steadily at this as to prevent me from having considerable leisure when i was put to help mother part of the time to make garden take care of the cow and go of errands we had to get flour from the mill nearly a mile out of town and i was usually sent for it that is to buy it and watch for an opportunity to have it brought up these trips in consideration of the fact that there were two orchards to go by 
and fishing to be done in the creek at the mill, and swimming to be done in the river, usually took a good while and often spoiled a day's work. There was a belief at that time among the country doctors that the ginseng root was the sovereignest thing on earth for the lungs, and as father complained at that time of a cough, I undertook to hunt ginseng in the woods where it then grew pretty plentifully, but as I did not know it by the leaf, two boys who didn't know it either undertook to show it to me. We spent two or three days in most delightful rambling over the hillsides, but I discovered the boys were humbugs, and as I wanted to find something as well as hunt for it, I got another guide, of whom I learned to find the plant very well, and enjoyed the woods vastly, for I suppose to the natural man in boyhood the forest is of all places the most delightful. The season of ginseng was succeeded by nuts, and as I was usually allowed to go nutting, I had a pretty good season of it. One of our great sports in the street at that time was bonfires made of shavings from the new houses building. To add to the excitement, some boys were engaged to gather a great quantity, that is to say sundry hatfuls, of buckeyes, wild horse chestnuts, that grew in great abundance along the river. These were saved up till Saturday, when the carpenters would throw out the rubbish for the bonfire. When the fire was nearly burned down, and the flame began to lose its splendor, the buckeyes were thrown into it by the boys who surrounded the fire, when, as they became hot, there was a gas generated in them that exploded them with a report like a pistol, and thus a fusillade would be kept up as long as the supply lasted, after which sticks and stones would be thrown into the coals to brighten them up. It was wonderful what a crowd of boys would gather, and how little mischief would be done. End of section 3